So tonight's Bible reading comes from the first book of the Bible, Genesis. We'll be reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. And this section that we'll be reading is part of the creation story. So that's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens And to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thanks, Josh. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you. As, um, as has already been said tonight, it is a, a new year, the first Sunday of a new year. So I, I trust that you've all had a wonderful Christmas, a wonderful uh, New Year's period. And it's great to uh, be back into it again for 2024. And um, as Craig mentioned, even though I'm going to be disappearing for a bit of this year, I look forward to still being able to uh, serve among you in the next few weeks and then uh, later down the track when I return. And can I say, if, you, if you're new to us tonight, maybe uh, it's your first time with us, it's great to have you with us too. And um, I hope uh, tonight you'll find uh, what we talk about uh, helpful as well. We're, we're starting a new sermon series. We thought, new year, let's start a new series. And this next four weeks in the PM service, we're going to be, uh, as you see on the screen behind me, doing a series we're calling Q&A, which is basically what we're going to be looking at is common questions that often get asked of Christianity? What are some of the things that people ask when it comes to the topic of Christianity? And so that's what we're going to be doing the next four weeks. And tonight, our first talk in that series, the the question that we want to look at is this. Uh, Is Christianity good or bad for society? Is Christianity good or bad for society? Now, I suppose uh, that's a little bit of a a loaded question uh, these days. Uh, Perhaps uh, there are people on both sides of this issue uh, who take quite uh, strong views uh, in response. As well, probably uh, uh, there's also a whole bunch of people in the middle somewhere who don't care that much as to this question, but certainly there'd be strong views, I suspect, if we went out and asked your average person on the street uh, what they thought about this question. Now, for those that that do kind of have those strong views, the answers tend to go like this. Those who, on the one side, think that Christianity is good for society, well, they point to the way that it encourages people to be kind to each other. People being kind, uh, the way it encourages us to forgive one another when we do the wrong thing, 
Uh, They point to how uh, Christianity uh, can often lead to the advancement of social causes in in society that bring real tangible benefits to people of all backgrounds and beliefs. I think there's an example of that here in this city. We've got a a sister church of ours that puts on a a large uh, conversational English program in the city that reaches actually a whole uh, uh, range of people from nations all across the world. And the whole purpose of it is to help them uh, learn English or become better, more proficient at English so that they can uh, improve their lives and they use the, the Bible and other, other parts to, to do that. So that's a really helpful thing that they're doing just to try and help those around them in the city. Now, at the same time, are those who might disagree with the answer to this question, you might say no. Well, those on that side might, may highlight how Christian belief is uh, unscientific that uh, faith is merely wishful thinking. Or they might say that, that Christians uh, can be known to discriminate or be judgmental against those uh, that don't share their beliefs. Now, there's actually I mean, numerous examples, I think, of that, that latter uh, argument. So you may remember just a few years ago, 2017, uh, that year um, when... Uh, when marriage was revised in Australia, Australian law, in the early part of that year, there was a, a campaign, an ad campaign, uh, run by the Bible Society. You may remember it was called uh, Keeping It Light. That was the name of the campaign. And they basically had a, a, a short video with uh, two gentlemen having a conversation. There they are in the background. You've got two uh, MPs having a conversation about the topic of marriage. And that was a hot topic at the moment because we knew that the plebiscite was coming up. And in this this light uh, advertisement, the two men are having a a conversation about what they believe about the issue. One for a change in marriage law, one uh, not for it. But at the same time, as part of this kind of uh, advertising campaign, the Bible Society had partnered with Cooper's Brewery. And so there in in the short video, they're having a chat uh, and it's meant to be very friendly and open, and they've also got uh, some Cooper's beers with them as well. And the Cooper's Brewery had, at the time, put on some commemorative cans. They were releasing some commemorative cans to celebrate the 200-year anniversary of the Bible Society. But if you remember that, well, you also remember, as communicated in the media, that there was seemed to be some... Uh, significant pushback against this. Uh, people said that it was discriminatory for uh, Coopers to do this, for the Bible Society to do this, particularly discriminatory towards those at the time who were not able to get married because of the, of the way marriage law was. And so what happened? Well, then you see another picture behind me that the two kind of um, leaders or two of the key people in Coopers made a, a short video, a public statement basically cancelling the whole thing, saying we're stopping the cans, we're not, we're not in partnership with Bible Society anymore, and the whole thing was over. Now, it seems, when you see things like that, and I think we could roll off a number of examples that are similar, well, it seems like uh, the pushback against Christianity is pretty fairly developed, pretty fairly entrenched uh, in modern Australia and in much of the Western world. So like we said, we get strong views on either side to that question. Well, tonight, as we said, we're embarking on this new series. We're looking at these common questions. And so we want to take a deeper look at this particular question. Is Christianity good or bad for society? And as you may have guessed, you probably guessed this, but we're going to be arguing for the former. 
that yes, Christianity on the whole is good for society. We, we are a church after all. Now, we could list a host of reasons why that's the case. We could list, I could spend hours talking to you about this, but tonight, uh, just to keep to time, we're only going to have a bit of time to look at a few in particular. If you'd like more detail on this topic, if after what's said tonight you'd want some more information on how Christianity has impacted the world for good, well then, first of all, I'd recommend reading the Bible. It's all there uh, for you. There's plenty of information there. But also there's a, a few books that you might found helpful, and I've got pictures on them on the screen behind me. Uh, we've got The Book That Made Your World by uh, Vishal Mangawaldi, uh, then Cross and Culture in the Middle by Kurt Marlberg and Dominion by uh, Tom Holland. Now, that's Tom Holland, the historian, not Spider-Man. Okay, so just, but all those books are quite helpful. I particularly found the first two helpful in researching and putting uh, the talk together for tonight. All right, Christianity, good for society. Let's have a look at it. Let's jump right in. Well, one of the positive influences that Christianity has made on the world is in the way that it encourages people in general to be more compassionate. Now, yes, showing compassion in and of itself, that's not something that's restricted only uh, to Christians. That's uh, not restricted to only those impacted by Christianity, but it does seem to stand out more in societies that, that are impacted by Christianity. So uh, if you go back to uh, Roman culture in ancient times, You'll see that the Roman Empire, they actually did all these wonderful positive things. They built roads, they used aqueducts to transport drinking water long distances and to carry away waste. They had a common tongue in the Latin language, which enabled lots of things to happen and people to be kind of united around one tongue. But then at the same time, as these great things are happening, well, the Romans are also known for their brutality and their abuses of power. Now, you might have seen that the Colosseum, right, that still exists now today in Rome, the Colosseum hosted evidence of this on the regular because there would be gladiator battles, fights to the death for people's entertainment. There would be uh, those thrown to the lions for sports. Now, Caesar, the, the head of the Roman Empire, he was known for proudly boasting about how many people he had killed in military campaigns. Millions of, of Gauls or others are, are wiped out in military campaigns, and he was known for boasting about that. Now, can you imagine uh, Anthony Albanese or Joe Biden uh, boasting about uh, military campaigns or how many people they've killed? I, I suspect not. Now, other, other ancient societies are also similar to this. So I've got the Aztecs, the, the Mayans, you might know a little bit about them. They were similarly known for lacking empathy and understanding, particularly to those who are less fortunate. Now, even today, that's, this is still a problem in some areas of the world. Just look at the criticism that's leveled, at, for example, at the Chinese government for their treatment of Uyghur Muslims, or the, the Taliban in Afghanistan for their treatment of women, or even in Zimbabwe, the government there is known for persecution of political opponents. I know that, that there is a long list as well. We could cite many examples of how we still see lack of compassion in many parts of the world today. Now, it goes without saying that, that every country has failures on this front. Every country, no country is perfect when it comes to compassion, and that's obvious. And helping all countries to become more compassionate is an idea that we can all get behind. 
But why is it that some seem to do better at it than others, particularly those that are impacted by Christianity? Well, at the the forefront of the answer to this is the Lord Jesus himself, the the founder of Christianity. He he was a a shining example of kindness and consideration because he lived in that dark Roman world that was, for a large part, was built on the principle of might makes right and self-love. That's what Rome was about. And yet into that world and into the world he continues to speak, Jesus spoke about things like turning the other cheek. He said, I love your neighbor as yourself. He said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And he didn't just talk about it either. He displayed that kind of love, that kind of compassion, by regularly spending time with the weak and the outcasts in society, like our prostitutes, our tax collectors. He was known for that. He healed the blind, healed the lame, the the deaf, the mute. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. Now, Jesus was compassionate, compassion par excellence. Now, you can look at Scripture to see this. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, for example, Jesus is said to have compassion on the huge crowd that that has followed him to a desolate place. And if you know that story, you know that he, he ends up miraculously feeding that crowd with uh, 5,000 people with all uh, just a few uh, loaves and fish. But if you keep following the story of Jesus, you know even more miraculous than that is the level of compassion on display as Jesus hangs on the cross. You can go to Mark 14 to read about that. Because he did that, he goes to the cross willingly for the people who crucified him, for people who hate him, for people who are against him, who rejected him. Oh, as, as we, he uh, said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that's the sort of foundation you need for a compassionate society. I think that's what we see, again, on the whole, in societies where Christianity has left its mark. We see things like hospitals, for example. Hospitals first uh, put in place by Christians long ago. We have aid agencies like the Red Cross. Uh, Things like soup kitchens, where people are reaching out to those in need. I think most of all, we see regular, everyday Christians working together both as churches and as individuals to, uh, as the Apostle Paul puts it, to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort that we are first given by God in Christ. Now, that's what we're about as Christians, or at least that's our aim as Christians. So if we, we see someone in need, we go to help. Indeed, in this very church, we have a group of men who are dedicated to that, whose their, their particular role is to look out for those in need and to help them in material ways. Those are our deacons. Right, so, and we do more. We, we also we make meals for each other. Now, we, we pray for one another. We walk alongside each other as we go through difficulties. We extend fellowship to those who might be lonely or struggling. Uh, and we share the things that we have with those around us less fortunate. Now, again, anyone can do these things. You don't have to be a Christian to do these things. 
But it's Christianity that best explains why these are seen as positive societal values in the modern West. But Christianity and Christ encourages us to be compassionate. Now, the second way in which Christianity has had a positive impact in the world is in the realm of morality, in how we view what is right and what's wrong. Now, you might look at the state of morality in the world today and think, well, actually, morality seems to be on the decline. And perhaps we could look at statistics to maybe make the case for that. But for our purposes tonight, well, let me look at one thing in particular, one way in which uh, things seem to be uh, morally decayed, and that is corruption. Okay, corruption. Now, corruption is a, a bit of a difficult word to define, but it could be stated like this. It could be an abuse of entrusted power for private gain. An abuse of entrusted power for private gain. So that would include actions such as uh, bribery or extortion, uh, fraud, uh, embezzlement, If you've ever been involved in a scam, maybe you've been a victim of a a scam, well, you'll know about this. That's the sort of thing we're talking about. That's, sadly, a reality in our world today. Now, corruption is a hard thing to quantify, a hard thing to get exact measurements for. But there's one organisation in the world right now that has been aiming to actually do that, to try and get a sense of what corruption is like, not just in certain countries, but in across the world. Okay, now, they're in an organization called Transparency International. There's a, the logo behind me. Now, each year, this organization puts out what's called a Global Corruption Perceptions Index. The idea of this index, effectively, is to rank the world's nations according to how they are, their perceived level of corruption in the public sector in those countries. And this organization, it gives them a score for how it seems they're doing. Uh, The score is out of 100, 100 being perfect, no corruption, and uh, zero being total, complete corruption. Now, here's the the most recent one that I found. This is the 2022 uh, top ranking countries. Now, I hope, I don't know if you're able to see that, but uh, just I'll read it out to you just in case you can't see. Number one is Denmark. Number two, Finland. Number three, New Zealand, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, Switzerland, Netherlands, Germany. And then and rounding out number 10 is Ireland. And actually, if you look a little bit closer, just below that, number 13 is Australia. All right, there we are. But we wouldn't, shouldn't get too self-confident because, as I found out, uh, over the last 10 years, Australia has dropped uh, 10% on that uh, ranking system. So it used to be higher. It's dropped a a fair bit over the last decade. Now, I found that interesting, but I think what's most interesting is when you make the comparison between the countries that appear to be at the top and the countries that are at the bottom, which uh, should show on the next slide. So there you are again. Again, I'll read out the bottom ones to you. So we've got Somalia, Syria, South Sudan, Venezuela, Yemen, Libya, North Korea, Haiti, Equatorial Guinea and Burundi. I hope I pronounced that last one right. Now, what do you notice when you compare those countries one side against the other? What's different about them? Well, of course, there there could be a number of differences that we could look at, but surely, surely one of those differences 
is that one side of, of the writ list has been heavily influenced by Christianity and the other side, not so much. So let's, for example, just take a quick look at the top-ranked country, the country that seems to have the lowest level of perceived corruption. That's Denmark. Okay, now, as of uh, January last year, January 2023, the, the most recent stat is 72% of, Den- of people in Denmark are members of the state church. That's one. Th- so they have a state church. That's one thing. And 72% of people in Denmark belong to it. Now, that's, that seems like it's pretty significant. Now, stats can be misleading. I know we, we have to take them with a grain of salt. But surely something like that must count for something. Now, might there be other reasons for this sort of disparity between the two ends of the table? Well, of course, there could be other reasons as well. But in no way could we ignore the role that Christianity is certain to have played in how corruption has played out in each of these uh, different ends of the scale. But what is it about uh, Christianity exactly that might have led to less perceived corruption? Well, you don't need to look long at the Bible to see that a society that's firmly established in Christian teaching, in a, in a biblical worldview, well, that would have certain positive ethical outcomes. I mean, take, for example, the Ten Commandments, first listed in Exodus chapter 20. These well-known commands would provide a moral framework that has to be about as close to a universal standard of what is right and what's wrong as you could get. That commands like, uh, you shall not steal or you shall not give false testimony. Well, no doubt societies that have uh, uh, know that well are going to be societies that favour and value honesty and truth. Now, here's where things get a little bit contentious because it's one thing to say that Uh, a nation with a low perceived corruption level is Christian, that's one thing, but it's quite another to say it has low perceived corruption because it's Christian. Uh, It's it's always the question of origin, the, the, the why question that causes the most consternation. How many today might say that, well, morality has simply come around, come about because uh, humans have made it, right? It's come about through human will. In fact, some people have have stated this very thing. So our noted atheist, Christopher Hitchens, has said this very thing, and I'll put a quote from him on the screen behind me. There it is. That's morality comes from humanism, not from God, from humanism, and is stolen by religion for its own purposes. But there's a problem with that view. I wonder if you've spotted it. If morality does indeed come just from us as people, if we decide what is right and what is wrong, well, whose definition is correct? Because not just individuals, but societies across time and space have differed over the answers to these questions. Slavery, for example, is a a clear example of this. That was once considered a moral good. And yes, people claiming the name of Christ were known to make that argument as well. And if we were to say, well, that's just because they were ignorant back then, they're not like us, 
enlightened as we are today, well, who's to say that in 10, 20, 100 years' time, we might discover that critical things that we thought were good today actually turned out to be terribly wrong. So in what sense then can I actually know as a human what is objectively right and objectively good? And that's, that's the crux of the issue. Right? Where can I get objective morality from if I or if we as humans, either as individuals or societies, if we decide it for ourselves? The answer is, of course, that we can't. For morality to be objective, it must come from outside of us. It must transcend our mortal and and finite minds. It has to transcend us. And so when you consider things like the incarnation of Christ, the fact that Christ came to the world as a baby. When you read the Christmas story, which we've just done the last few weeks, and you hear about Jesus who's come to save his people from their sins. Well, what you're reading is not some story of sentimentality, but, but clear evidence that God himself has physically intervened in human history. And how does that help us? Well, Because when Jesus came to display the ultimate act of good by dying on the cross, by defeating evil, well, he showed us that morality isn't something that we create for ourselves. It's not something we decide. It's not a social construct. No, it's something beyond us. It's something given to us. And that's good news. That's good news for us because it means that there is truly justice in the world even if we don't experience it in this life, even if we get hit by corruption, if we experience corruption in the here and now, and it goes unanswered, well, even then, even then we can know that there will be justice in the end because there is a transcendent God who defines what is actually right or wrong and he will deal justly with everyone. That is good news. Well, the final and most uh, significant way, I think, in which Christianity has left an indelible mark on society is in its view of humanity. Now, how uh, we all see human beings uh, as, uh, no matter their age, no matter their sex, no matter their status or their wealth, we see them all as inherently worthy of value, dignity and respect. In other words, that we believe in human rights. Now, that means from the the prime minister to the person living on the street, from the CEO to the disabled, uh, the mainstream view for the history of our society is that every person is inherently valuable. And now I'll admit, this this one might seem a little bit harder to argue for in terms of this coming from Christianity, and that's mainly for one reason, I think. And that reason is, If you've grown up here in Australia or perhaps in another part of the world where Christianity has had a big impact, well, the view that we have of humanity, the view that we have of human rights, it's something we can easily take for granted. Why? Because it's it's the air that we breathe. It's just what we know. It's what we've always known. And so I think I'm guilty of this. We can easily assume that it's the same everywhere. The way we view things here, maybe in Australia, in the West, is the same everywhere. But that's just simply not the case. 
Did you know, for example, that slavery is still a, a massive issue in many parts of our world today, right now? Or that in, in places like uh, in India, in China, uh, sex-selective killing of newborn females due to preference for males, that's still an ongoing issue. As recently as 1994, there were articles writing about this. So I'll quote one. Here's a quote from one from 1994. It said, In rural India, the century-old practice of female infanticide can still be considered a wise course of action. Now, what makes our society so different from that is it all stems from our Christian roots. And the genesis of the, this view of humanity funnily enough, is found in the book of Genesis. And, and uh, we had a read just before this. Right? Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. Now there you'll find teaching about humanity that sets humans apart from the rest of creation. Okay, now that makes, uh, it, that makes it different from all other creation accounts that are known throughout history, all the other ways that people use to explain how everything came to be, including secular atheism. So what do we read? Well, Genesis 1, God says this on day 6 of creation. He says in one, Genesis 1 verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now these, these are just remarkable words, a remarkable uh, concept that's being outlined here. Uh, being made in the image of God means that human beings are absolutely unique in our world. That we are, we are not just another animal. We are not just some uh, evolution from a, a primordial soup or accidental explosion, as a secular atheists might have us believe. No, we are made to reflect the God of the universe, and that means that we have inherent dignity and worth. Now, this is why our Christian missionaries like our William Carey were, were leaders in trying to stop the horrible practice of widow burning in India in the early 1800s. It's also why our Protestant missionaries like uh, Dr. John Arthur fought against the, the terrible practice of female circumcision in Africa in the early 1900s. But that's only the half of it, right? Because God didn't just make us valuable. He, he didn't just tell us that as humans we are valuable. Well, he also showed us that we are valuable by coming to earth himself as a human. Right now, imagine uh, you are a business owner and you're uh, selling a particular product and then tomorrow, come along, but uh, who should come along? But Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon. Right? Founder of Amazon, everyone knows what that is. And he arrives and he gives you a glowing review of your product. He says it's just fantastic, it's, it's amazing, and he has to have one. He buys one from you on the spot. And what's that going to do to the value of your company? I suspect it's going to skyrocket, right? It's going to go through the roof. So what does it do for humanity then when the creator of humanity doesn't, just, doesn't remain kind of aloof but enters into our world as one of us. Well, it shows, doesn't it, just how highly valued human beings must really be. And that's doubly so once you consider that the great lengths 
that Jesus goes to to save sinful humans. So I think it's, it's without question. There's no question that a society that is soaked in these ideas, image of God, the incarnation, and the cross, there's no doubt that a society that's soaked in these ideas would be a society that upholds human rights as of first importance. Right? That's where those beliefs come from. Well, no kind of uh, whirlwind tour tonight, but I hope uh, you can see just how clear it is that Christianity has indeed had a significant positive impact on society, uh, an impact for good. And that is uh, despite the, the flaws that might be uh, there with uh, people who hold to Christianity, right? All Christians uh, are flawed people who sin and do the wrong things. So despite that, Christianity has still had a significant impact for good on society. And that's true both for Western societies where it's been uh, the major impact, but also other societies outside of that. Because wherever Christians go, wherever they might go in the world, these things often follow compassion, morality, and a dignified view of humanity. And that's not because Christians in and of themselves are anything special. It's because we follow a special saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in turn means that even if today, if it's, even if it seems like we might be going backwards in some of these areas, even if we might be seem to be moving away from our Christian heritage, which I'll say is not good because it means we're cut, cutting off figuratively the philosophical branch that we're sitting on. Well, what it means is that moving forward as a society, we need not less Christianity, but more Christianity. And so if you're here tonight, you are a Christian, well, that means that's something that God has already called us to do, to go out, to make disciples, to continue uh, sharing with the world the good news of Jesus and how that news brings uh, tangible benefits to society as well. But the key thing for us to remember, I think, in this whole discussion is that it brings real tangible benefits to every individual who embraces it. Christianity brings us real tangible benefits for every person who embraces Jesus. Because it means, wow, it means you get to know the God who made you. It means you get to know the God who is compassionate, the God who is good, uh, the God who in Christ uh, gave his life as a ransom for many. And so, yes, Christianity is good for society and good for people. Uh, Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for uh, some time to think about this question, to think about uh, the impact that you and your word and uh, people claiming the name of Christ have been able to have on the world that you have made. Uh, We're thankful for the truths that are outlined in scripture that have been developed over time uh, and have been spoken about at length and which we've looked at briefly tonight, uh, that uh, we are called to be compassionate Uh, that we are called to be people who love one another, who are kind to one another, who are to share and uh, um, look out for those around us. Uh, We're thankful for um, you speaking into our world and showing us what is right and good and true and what to avoid, what not to do. Uh, We're thankful that it doesn't depend on me to decide that. It doesn't depend on us. 
but that we have it revealed and we can know what is actually right and good. And we thank you finally for uh, how highly valued uh, humans are, that we are people who are unique because we are made in your image. And we know that's the case because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, how he came to this earth, he took on flesh and was uh, carried our sin on the cross. But Father, would you uh, continue to remind us of these things? Would we not take for granted the uh, incredible uh, benefits that flow from being a Christian? Uh, and may we uh, be persuaded to uh, consider these things if we haven't already. And may we be uh, convinced about uh, sharing that news with others as well. And we pray this all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.